Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. Got lots of good questions. We got a lot of questions from Facebook that we are going to be going over. We've been, uh, if you guys are part of the uh, Taylor Life Podcast Facebook group, every Tuesday, we uh, ask for questions. So if you want to use that resource to ask your questions instead of uh, the online form or Instagram or whatever way, that is another option. So. Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of like been resurrected, if you will. You know, we, we were definitely silent for a while. It's just, I mean, in full transparency, it's just hard to manage all the different things, you know what I mean? Like even that's probably one of the hardest things about being a business owner is like, okay, there's Facebook and there's Twitter and there's Instagram and there's tw- TikTok now. Oh fuck. There's still an email newsletter. Oh yeah. We got a podcast as well. Got to film YouTube videos. It's like on top of you doing your actual job for what you get paid for, yeah. which is actually coaching, you know? Um, and it was just quiet. So Travis took that over and he's helped me make sure that we get content out there and we get you know, asking questions. So um, if you're not in there, I believe there's a link to join the group in the description. Yep. Right. Um, if you do not answer the questions to get in, you're not getting in. So answer the questions. Don't speak through those. Even if you're wrong, even if you don't realize that the best show on the planet and ever created is Seinfeld, it's okay. I still like you. You can join, but you got to fill them out because if you don't, you might be a robot and we don't want robots in there, but, uh, join the group. Make sure you stay tuned for those so you can ask your question there. Um, it's also nice too, because it's easy for me to be like, if somebody asks a question and I've done this before where, I know I'm going to cite research or articles or other things of like, Hey, if you're, if, you know, if you're listening, you should check this out too. I can comment back with like going to answer this, but check these out, you yeah. know, and I can just give you the link. So go in there make sure you check that out. Um, we're going to be more active and we want to get people more active in the group as well. Um, so definitely go check that out. And that'll be our, our free content suggestion for the day. We usually suggest some kind of free content to go check out, but we just check, uh, recommend going and checking out the Facebook group. As long as you answer the questions, we'll accept you. And it's a great place to get help and get, uh, your questions answered on the podcast. But, um, man, did you see that, uh, that thing I shared on my story of Jerry Seinfeld and Conor McGregor? No, I don't oh hear your story. God, bro, I'm I, was, kidding. I, I think I, I saw Conor McGregor pirate shirt. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I skipped through it, but so there's an episode of Seinfeld where, uh, Jerry and Elaine go on a double date with Kramer and his new girlfriend. And Kramer's girlfriend is a, a fashion designer. She makes okay. like outfits and dresses. And she, they, they call her the, uh, it's either the whisperer or the mumbler because she like, <laughs> and you're like, what? And like, they can't understand her, but they okay. don't want to be rude. So they act like they know what she's saying. And they're like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And uh, long story short, she asked Jerry to wear her new fashion outfit or whatever on the tonight show. Cause he oh. was going to get featured on the tonight show and he wears, and it's like this fucking pirate shirt and it just looks ridiculous. Um, and Conor McGregor was wearing one just like it, but he was like actually just dressing up for whatever yep. event he was going to. Yeah. I was dying. I had so many people respond to that cracking up. One person was like, does he actually think he looks good? I was like, I'm assuming so. Yeah. He wouldn't have worn it. He's not a comedian. He, Conor McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. He wears a lot of like interesting shirts like that for like, I mean, it's probably like Dolce & Gabbana or something, yeah, but yeah. it was just... When I've seen him wear some stuff that is actually dope, like yeah. it looks sick. But it's just weird designer stuff. Yeah, but yeah. that one is way too weird. <laughs> but it's funny because after we saw that episode, I see other people, um, usually usually like women's clothing, they'll be wearing like fashionable stuff, and yeah. it kind of reminds me of that, and I can't get that that pirate shirt image out of my head. Mm-hmm. I've actually... I, I can't remember who it was, and I'm not going to say even if I did. I remember hanging out with somebody and literally going... 
oh my god, that's the pirate shirt. Oh my god! And like telling Shannon later on, like, did you notice the pirate shirt? But she probably wouldn't have got it. I'm not going to be mean about that, you know. No, Shannon wasn't wearing one wearing it. No, I know. I'm just saying. She, oh yeah, she yeah. might have not like got the reference. Yeah, um, maybe she did. Shannon would have. The lady wouldn't. Guaranteed. You know, not that many people did. It was a lady. Yeah. It was it was a female. Um, not that many people have a ton of Seinfeld references, especially uh, in our era or yeah. our age range. Yeah. You know, except but, you, bro. Except me. But it's like uh, you know, I'm used to laughing at my own jokes. I'm a yeah. dad, and I <clears> hang out with Shannon more than anybody. She doesn't laugh at my jokes, and Blakely now she laughs at everything. Yeah, I think you're fucking hilarious. Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. We had an, we were arguing at your wedding, dude. We were sitting at the dinner table, and. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I got a really good joke to tell for my speech. And she was like, don't do it. And I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, I don't want you to embarrass yourself. Like, don't tell a joke that nobody's going to get. And I was like, I'm funny. And she's like, you're not funny, Cody. And Dustin was like, I think he's funny. I think he's very funny. And I was just like, what the fuck? I was like, you don't think I'm funny because you're around me yeah. all the time. Yeah. And usually I'm, I'm purposely saying jokes to make me laugh that I know will annoy you. That's why they're funny. Yeah. Um, and you don't think they're funny. Exactly. Yeah. But she doesn't admit it, but I have her laughing all the time when I'm not like trying to set up a joke, but it was the crow, the crow joke. Oh my God. Dude, the yeah. place fucking loved it. Yeah. They were, they were roaring. Yeah, and it's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. But I told it to your dad, Cameron Andrews, everybody at the, at the rehearsal. And I literally, I don't know what we were talking about, but it set me up perfect. I was like, Oh, I'm going to test this out. Mm. And they were cracking up. So I was like, all right, I feel comfortable saying this tomorrow yeah. in my speech in front of a hundred something people. Yeah. But we were sitting in the kitchen talking about it and she's like, what is that? What? Or Josephine asked me, well, what was the crow reference? And I told her, I was just like, I was just staring at a crow, screaming at it. Yeah. It was hilarious. Yeah. And, and the Cody thought something was going on. The the real like end of it too is like, I'm pretty sure you looked at me and said, I fucking hate crows. But yeah. I was like, I'll leave that part yeah. out. Yeah. But man, I, I, I was like beating myself up after I sat down. Like I was like, I left out so much of my speech because I got nervous. It's I don't know right. why I just jumped ahead. Shannon was like. And a couple of people said, honestly, it's probably better you left out work because then it's it's just all about travel. I was like, I know, but I there want, was this, I wanted you to say it. I know you did because yeah. we talked about that. And yeah. I was like, there's this part of the journey where, because it was right after the Crow story yeah. of living together. Yeah. And then uh, there was the part about, because I sent it to you afterwards, yeah. the part about the bonfires and, and yeah. how that turned into like you believing in what I was doing and then yeah. wanting to join it. And that fucking evolution of helping create some of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's a huge part. Yeah. And, and then I sat down and I realized, I was like, man, people are up like, oh, that's his best friend. They probably don't realize I'm kind of also your boss. Yeah. And like that also adds like a funny layer to the whole entire thing. Totally. But, um, Josephine read the, the, the notes you sent mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Josephine read it to me on the drive home oh. and yeah, got her in tears, bro. Like it had her oh, in tears. Yeah. She was just like, that guy is your best friend. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was, I was literally for like the longest time just yeah. like fucking beating myself up. Sorry. I was like, God damn it. How do I? I've never, I haven't, I'm never nervous for speeches yeah. at my wedding for my vows. And then that yeah. the most nervous I've ever been because at seminars, You're not talking about fitness or nutrition. Yeah. yeah. I, at seminars, once I get on a roll, I'm just like, I'm going, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's just information and totally. facts about science and training and whatever. Yeah. But that shit is just way different, man. I still think it went well there. A lot of people came up to me and there was like, yours was perfect. It wasn't too long. It was funny, but it had like good points of like who he is and yeah. like killed it. Um, Dustin started so funny because like multiple people at the table were like, don't say that. I'm don't. Make, making love? Yeah. yeah. Basically, it was like, I'm going to make the, what do you say? Short and plain, just like travel later or something yeah. like that. And his girlfriend's like, please don't. And jo 
Shannon's like, I, I really wouldn't do it just based on the crowd. And then they got kind of quiet. And I was like, Dustin, you should do it. Because in my mind, I was like, if you do that and it bombs, I'll look way better. Because yeah. I'm going after you. <laughs> I was like, do it, bro. It didn't, it didn't bomb, but yeah. not, not everybody laughed. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> like, was like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> A couple, me and Cameron Andrews laughed really hard. Oh, yeah. We got loud. But no, that was, uh, that was sick, man. The, the, the entire thing, the speech, all that shit was so, so sick. I don't even know why we brought that up in the first place. Um, oh, because Shannon didn't think my jokes were funny. Totally. And that was proof that they were. Yeah. But All right, cool. We're getting into the first question here, guys. Um, we got a question coming from Haley Kunzler. <laughs> that was interesting. Haley Kunzler says, is it possible to be eating too little calories and have a stall in weight loss? I weigh everything I eat, so I know exactly what I'm putting in my body, but I'm highly active, and I fear I may be messed up, messing up my metabolism. Okay, so uh, not eating enough and gaining weight? Is that what she said? Is it possible to be eating too little calories and have a stall in weight loss? Weight, uh, weight loss. loss. Sorry. Um, yes and no. So um, this is where it gets hard. So like uh, a lot of times there's, there's adaptive mechanisms in the human body and physiology that will stop fat loss from happening but it's not it's not black and white because people you know like oh you're in starvation mode and it's like well you technically if you're in a big calorie deficit if you're not if you're eating so little you would lose weight I mean it's 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 so hard to explain because there's so many scenarios and situations that kind of spin off this or but or but or it depends on this you know because at the end of the day, the easiest way to say, like, well, no, I mean, if, you, if you're actually in a deficit, you will lose weight is, I mean, like, there's starving children in uh, foreign countries and in third world countries. You think they got to a point where they, like, stopped losing weight because they were in starvation mode? No, they're, like, literally starving and yeah. now they're sticking bones because they kept losing weight past an unhealthy position. So typically what happens is um, if, you're, if you're training really hard, like, there's an adaptive process, right? So weight loss can slow down. Um, through hormonal processes, but it won't completely halt. Um, there's physiological processes and metabolic adaptations like NEAT, for example, where uh, people will do uh, more training to try to lose weight. And actually just did a study on this. It was really cool. They, they had people do more cardio and they tracked their steps, right? So they had one group just diet to, just diet to lose weight. So they cut calories through food. They had one group that uh, increased their steps per day. So neat to lose weight. And then they had another group that uh, added cardio and they just tracked the differences between everybody. And the least adaptive process of losing weight was diet. And, and the reason we say that is because if you are just trying to increase walking, most likely the adaptive mechanism that's going to happen is you're going to naturally eat more food. If you try to add cardio and you do more cardio throughout the day, you're going to adapt by doing less steps and neat. So this is one reason why I tell people, um, you know, people are like, for example, with my aura ring, I've had that question a lot. Like, why don't you wear your aura ring while you train? Part of it is because I just don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. But the other part of it is, is I don't even wear it when I'm doing cardio, when I'm not grabbing anything. And the reason is because I'm also tracking my step count, right, to stay leaner, get leaner. And if I track my steps while I'm doing cardio or running or anything and my, I hit my steps earlier, my body will naturally do less steps throughout the day. So I don't wear it so I can track my steps and I'm still aiming to hit 11,000 steps every day outside of training, there you go. right? Because what they found in the study is that when we increase cardio, naturally you're neat 
drops. It's an adaptive process. Your body goes, oh, we're burning more energy, so I'm going to preserve more energy here. Um, same thing happens with dieting. Right? That's why when we diet, we start moving less. We start um, cutting out processes. That's why uh, amenorrhea happens to women when they diet too hard or train too hard is the, the menstrual process actually goes away. And that's another thing to consider too is like, uh, you know, I don't know how deep this person has gone down, but menstruation and I mean, shit, hair growth, skin growth, nail growth, like those things that takes energy. Your body is constantly creating processes and systems to regenerate or fuel things to happen in your body. Your body's a constant thing. It's part of the reason why as we age, metabolism slows down and uh, testosterone lowers and thyroid and all these things, you go through menopause. Well, the reason is because these are aging processes, you know? So if, if my skin's growing, if my metabolism is turning, if, if cells in my body are, are flipping, so they're dying and re rebuilding, all these things, growth hormone, testosterone, they're all processes that require the metabolism to work and they require fuel and energy, which speeds up the aging process. That's why the younger we are, the higher all these things are, totally. right? We go through a growth spurt in middle school and high school. Well, that's when testosterone's its highest. Why? Because the body's doing a bunch of new things. It's creating new systems and different stuff, you know, uh, we'll leave it at that, but puberty basically. Yep. Um, but that's all related to the metabolism and those things speed up aging. So it's natural for those things to slow down as we age. But the point being is if we're dieting really hard, if we're training really hard, some of those processes that do require energy and calories and fuel, they, it, your body will adapt by lowering them from happening. So that's why a good sign of uh, thyroid dysfunction, which is directly tied to your metabolism, is when people start having hair loss or their hair is dry and it doesn't grow as fast or their nails aren't growing as fast or the skin doesn't heal as fast when they have a cut. Well, you're not regenerating as fast, right? So you're having a thyroid dysfunction issue. But you can look for those signs. Um, I would also say too is if you're doing a lot of training, you said you're very active and you're not tracking your steps, I would track your steps because I made this mistake before where I had somebody uh, doing cardio and we were tracking steps, but I didn't tell them to um, remove the tracker while they did cardio. So like, for example, just r random numbers because it was a while ago, they're doing 10,000 steps a day, right? And then we go, okay, we're going to add three days a week of uh, 30 minutes cardio. On those 30-minute cardio days, we should see way more than 10,000 steps, yeah. right? Because we do 10,000 plus the 30 minutes cardio. We didn't. We see 10,000 throughout the day. Why? Because she did 30 minutes in the morning and her body adapted throughout the day by walking less hmm. because it is trying to adapt. And then the cardio didn't do much for us because we're like, fuck, like we're at a plateau. We got to drop calories. When in reality, I could have said, hey, remove the tracker and still hit 10K on that day, right? Because we don't know how many steps it's going to take to do 30 minutes of, of less cardio. Um, but you got to keep, you got to pay attention to those different things that you, those metrics that you can be tracking so that you can try to trick metabolic adaptation in a sense, right? Um, but I don't, like, it's not as simple as eating so little that you stop losing weight. That doesn't happen. There's times where you're under eating and you're overtraining and you're highly stressed. And um, again, amenorrhea and stuff like that does happen. So we could say that some of your systems are not running as well and maybe that's it. But amenorrhea usually doesn't happen until you're so fucking lean. Like, these are like elite athletes or shredded bikini totally. athletes, you know? So most likely it's either this adaptive process where you're doing more cardio and your body's doing less neat, um, or there is some kind of mistracking going on with your diet. Maybe there, there are time, plenty of times where people accidentally do this, uh, whether you realize it or not, or you're just not consistent enough, which it doesn't sound like that's the case for you. So I don't want to like, like throw that at you, but there's usually something else going on. The only other thing I can think of is, is if stress is super high, sometimes weight loss is masked by water retention because when stress goes up, cortisol goes up, water retention goes up. So I've had people Very that, possible. yeah, and this is like the whoosh effect. People are, are getting more stressed as they diet because they're anxious. They're 
their body's tired, their body's fatigued, they're stressed, they're training hard. Um, and then we give them a refeed or a diet break. And then a couple of days later, we see that whoosh effect to their weight and it drops two or three pounds. Well, they already lost two or three pounds of, of weight, like fat probably. And once we gave them a refeed or a couple of days of a diet break, the carb increase lowered cortisol, lowered stress. They flushed a bunch of water out and got leaner and they think they lost a couple pounds overnight. It's like, no, you just lowered stress and cortisol levels decrease so that you drop that water and it, it was masking the weight loss that's happening gotcha. um which is probably one of the reasons why like we thought diet breaks did a lot of hormonal things it could have been just helping fix stress which stress is a hormonal thing in a way but um and it's it's eliminating that from masking the weight loss so there's a lot of things that could be going on but it's it's just not as simple like starvation mode just isn't a thing um i've done a really really in-depth blog on metabolic adaptation and reverse dieting i would highly recommend you go check that out um, I did a really, really thorough and in-depth conversation with Eric Trexler. I don't know, remember what episode that was. I've done two with him now. So if you type in Eric Trexler and Tailored Coach or Tailored Life podcast or even Boom Boom Forms podcast, because the first one was way back um, and it was on metabolic adaptation. Um, the conversations with him were both times were great. This last time we revisited it a little bit, but the first time that's all we talked about. And we discussed starvation mode and what that really is. And That's with Eric Trexler? Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll link all that stuff in the show notes, but I, I would go check those out. Cool. All right, we'll go to the next question. It is from Tammy Luong. It says, when clients are burned out on tracking, what do you typically do? Um, it depends why they're burnt out on tracking. Mm. So I don't experience this a ton, to be honest with you. The clients I've experienced this with have been with me for well over a year. And so the individuals that I experience this happening with um, I've educated them to enough to where we just take periods of time without tracking and that eliminates it. So kind of the same as like a diet break is supposed to psychologically refresh you, right? It lowers stress. So you can jump back into the diet Well, you can take an intuitive diet break to just eliminate the burnout of tracking macros. So a lot of times what I do is maybe it's just implementing a week long thing. Like I still track my macros every single day. And I think the reason I don't get burnt out is because I don't track on Saturdays. It's literally just one day where I don't track. And most of the time, I'm not really that far over. I eat pretty light throughout the day. And then I usually just, you know me, I eat a shit ton of cheese, crackers, and wine. Yeah. <laughs> basically at the end of the night, uh, my adult Lunchable at the end of the day. And then I go back to tracking. So implementing intuitive free days, intuitive diet breaks is always a good strategy. For some people, you need to do it more regularly. Like myself, I've been tracking for so long, I need it more regularly. For some people, um, I, I would say I don't even need it. It's just that I don't need to track. I can still manage things. If I was really, really, really serious or like struggling to lose weight, then I would track on those days, but I just don't need to because I have enough experience. Some people, you need to give them a week every few months, um, whatever it is. And then for some people, you just take them through a full phase of like, hey, let's test out intuitive eating for a month or two and just test it out. You know, if, if they don't have a serious fat loss goal and they're at maintenance, there's nothing wrong with doing that because it's really like, hey, you should know how to do that by now. We've been teaching you properly. Um, and that goes back to the other side of like, if somebody is into coaching with you for a month and they're burnt out on macros already either their previous experience was bad or you're not giving them a good educational experience right now and I think that's why we don't see it too much with our clients is because we show them how to do it the right way how flexible dieting doesn't just mean being able to fit ice cream into your macros but it also means understanding ranges of macros so educating. you're yeah and you're never going to be spot on with your macros so we educate them on the ranges we educate them on the foods they can fit in how to do that um 
when being intuitive is okay, when like you go on a vacation, how to handle that without worrying about tracking and stuff like that. And we usually do the right things along the way to prevent them. And you don't get burnt out on something that is, is easy to manage or that isn't stressful. You know, you get burnt out on things that are stressful. So we tend to make macros and tracking them just easy to do and very low stress. And because of that, they don't get burned out, yep. you know? And when they do, like I said, we give them some free days. We do some intuitive diet breaks, whatever we need to do to make sure that they're um, not going to continue to get burnt out. And it's, it's a lot easier than I think people would expect it to be. Yeah. Um, you do it the right way. Yeah, you just got to do it the right way. <coughs> and that's, that's the basis of it. But you can, I mean, you can always give them some intuitive periods of time. There's nothing wrong with that. Diet breaks. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's uh, move on to the next question. We got one coming from Lauren Roberts. Uh, she says, what are your thoughts on barbell hip thrust versus the machine at the gym for hip thrust? Not that many uh, gyms have machine hip thrust machines. So like machine hip thrust machines. Um, so I don't, I think I've used one once. So my opinion is, isn't that valid to be honest with you. Um, however, Here's what I would say, because I even like mach uh, Smith machine hip thrust. I think they're great, actually, because it's way easier to get the – like, a lot of people struggle to go heavy with hip thrust because getting it off the floor is hard. With a Smith machine, you can lock it where you need to at the top, get underneath it, and unlock it, and you're, you're set. You know, and it's perfect plane of motion, so you can just drive straight up where a lot of people drive backwards, um, getting more hamstrings involved and less glute because they're, they're basically curling their heels into the ground. But um, ultimately – and getting their low back activated because they go into hyperextension, but – Ultimately, I don't think it matters. I think this is a good good uh, question to kind of give an example of its movement patterns on exercise, right? So if you prefer a front squat versus uh, a back squat or a, I mean, back squat, you can usually load heavier. That's the only difference. But the point is it's a squat, right? If you like a Bulgarian split squat or a reverse lunge or whatever, like if you're targeting the muscle in the same way, you know, a hip thrust is a hip thrust. Um if you're doing, if you like a dumbbell bench press better than a machine chest press, great. If not, do the chest press machine. You know, like I think ultimately they really are just movement patterns. Your muscles don't really know. So I, I would say do whatever allows you, and this is like the take home point because I don't want to overcomplicate this. Do whatever is going to allow you to feel better doing the movement. So you're going to feel your glutes more while doing it. And you are not going to have aches and pains after doing it. So you're not putting yourself in a weird position for your biomechanics personally. Um, and allows you to progress the load over time. So if a barbell hip thrust is very uncomfortable, so you tend to not want to load it up or you just don't feel comfortable doing it, whatever, you're not motivated to do it. So you don't load it up. I hate hip thrust. So I personally don't go heavy because... I'm not motivated to do it. I've hip thrust 405 before because there's a bunch of guys at the gym. Yeah. We were just competing to do it. You'll never see me do that here. Maybe 185, maybe 225 pounds if I really feel like I need hip thrust in my program. Otherwise, I'm just not doing it. I just don't like it. So point being is if I had a hip thrust machine and I liked it better, I'd probably be more motivated to get after it with it, right? And I think that's the most important thing here. They're both uh, bridge-based hip extension movements that isolate the contraction of the glutes not the stretch so an rdl for example and emphasizes and and it, it it's mainly about the stretch because your glutes are in a big stretch position at the bottom and that's the main tension point whereas with a hip thrust it's that extension of the hips when you're squeezing your glutes to the top um, that's the main point so if you're doing that do whatever else is going to feel better and be more comfortable and allow you to progress the load over time totally you know so either one cool all right next one comes is Catherine marie nine 
She says, how long does stress take to decrease in order to start seeing results again? Um, again. Man, that's a very, very individual question because my question's back at you would be uh what was the stress you know like i mean are we talking training stress diet stress hormone stress all the above you know are we talking emotional stress uh trauma stress so like did you have did you break your leg did you have an injury head injury like which both of those would have completely different effects you know breaking your leg is a lot of inflammation in the lower extremities but a head injury could affect the hypothalamus which could cause some pituitary issues some hormonal issues now you have a whole cascade of stressors going on um, if it's diet, it's metabolic stress. I mean, there's just so many different things. So I would ask, what was the stress? And then how intense was the stress? You know, like, was it like, oh, I was kind of dieting the wrong way and I had some diet fatigue? Or was it like, I, I really fucked up my body for two years, you know, not eating enough and overtraining. I had amenorrhea, like we were talking about earlier. That's a whole different story, you know? Um, if it's, uh, how long is the stress? You know, like, okay, now we know what kind of stress. We know the intensity or aggressive. Last two months or last two years. Exactly, yeah, like, that's a huge factor because that's going to ultimately tell you how stressed the, how stressed you were at the end of it, right? How bad it got. Um, and all those play into a role of how long is it going to take to get there? And then also too is like, who is the person that's stressed? You know, are we talking about, okay, let's say it is a CrossFit athlete who has been dieting for two years. So they were tra- overtraining in CrossFit and dieting too hard. So I, that's a very specific stress that I'm comfortable with because I've worked with people in that scenario. Okay, cool. Is this a 20-year-old female or a 50-year-old male. Two completely different stories, right? Yeah. Or, again, 20-year-old female, 50-year-old female. Even 20 to 30. Yeah. You know, it's different. Yep. Age plays a huge factor in that. Um, what's your athletic history? Because genetic freaks on the field who are just God-gifted athletes from the beginning, they're going to handle stress differently. You know what I mean? So all these things play a role. So it's really hard for me to say, to be honest with you. I think a general rule of, a rule of thumb they, that uh, I would say is, 0.5 to 1.5 times the length of the stress that was occurring. Now, this is completely pulling out of my ass and just based on experience. There is no science to dictate how long it takes to remove stress and start losing weight again. But in my experience, if somebody was dieting the wrong way full for, full a, for a full year, wow, that was hard to say, for a full 12 year, months. 12 months, um, and it was really bad stress, let's say, I need at least six months with them. It's half the time. Mm. But it could be a year and a half before you repair because it depends on how aggressive it was. It depends on how your body handled it because even two 30-year-old males that are both 5'10 and 175 pounds doing the same sport, physiologically speaking, they're still different. Yep. So they're still going to handle the stress differently. Their stress capacity is different. Um, so it just depends. I don't think you can answer that question besides, I mean, like my general guess from my experience would be half the time to 1.5 times the time. Um, that it took to stress you huge difference though. yeah but it it also depends on the (laughs) aggressiveness of the recovery protocol so if somebody comes to me and they're unwilling to reverse diet a lot or unwilling to eat more food and unwilling to change your training damn right it's gonna take a year and a half because i because half the time i'm spending going like okay let's just eat a little bit more calories okay cool can we just get 30 minutes more sleep okay cool we're just gonna cut out one training session you know what i mean where some people are like dude i'll do whatever and you're like all right you're going from seven days a week training to four days. You need one more hour of sleep. I want you to add 500 calories. You're going to start supplementing with this. And they just do the whole shebang right at once. They're going to recover way quicker. Yeah. So we might get them feeling amazing in three fucking months, right? Six months, they're optimized. And then we can go back to whatever they wanted to get, get after and start ramping up intensity because they're in a better spot. Just need to heal first. Yeah. But some people, and I understand why it's hard, you know, like, hey, you might gain weight. Adherence. Hey, you're not going to be able to train as much, which is what you love doing. You know, there's a lot of things that are hard to do in that process. So it's hard to say, totally. but 
that's probably the best I can do to answer that one. Yeah. Without knowing the exact details. Yeah. Cool. All right. We'll go to the next one from Jess Melia. She said, what, what are your favorite types of cardio to program for yourself and or your clients? My favorite type, um, anything but burpees, first of all. <laughs> um, not a fan of burpees. More than the salt bike? I mean, I'm talking like, I mean, I hate them both yeah, from that perspective. But a salt bike is 1,000% better, 1,000 times better. Just because a burpee, I mean, if you think about it, you're just flopping yourself on the ground. You're just asking for injury and just poor mechanics. And there's way better ways to safely get your heart rate up than a fucking burpee. Um, burpee was designed as a form of punishment in boot camps. I mean, really, yeah, like, like, like military, military, boot camps. yeah, yeah. It was just basically like I think they called them uh, like up and downs, or yeah, something. yeah, some get ups or something yeah. stupid. Like it's yeah. just like you just fucking drop on the floor. When I say go, you get back up. Yeah, you just keep going until I tell you stop. And then somebody took it. And was I didn't like, even think about that, but yeah, this is great. I'm gonna have my middle aged f- sixty five weight loss, sixty five pound weight loss client do these because they have the. They're the best person to do this. Like, no, it's horrible. They're brittle. Brittle. They're not athletic. They still need to work on their mechanics. They have a ton of weight to lose, and they're not a military soldier ready to train. You know what I mean? Like, it's just different. Um, anyway, my favorite forms of cardio are uh, – I have two answers. Number one is neat. I think neat is just the – it's just the easiest way. It's the most sustainable way, and it's the the least demanding of your nervous system. So if we talk about, like, what's going to allow us to – Minimize stress, even decrease decrease stress for some people. Because for me, I know, like, I go on a walk at night when it's starting to get cool. It's like eight thirty nine p.m. I listen to a podcast and I go walk around the neighborhood, and it's like the sun's down. It's a cool breeze in the summer that de stresses me, and I'm burning calories. I'm getting you know multiple thousand steps in at that time, but it feels good. So to an extent, it's like cardio that can actually lower stress, which is very very rare to do. Any training that lowers stress is hard to do, really, but um, it could lower stress. It can bring blood flow into the limbs, which can improve recovery. Um, it's easy to track because I can go on 25-minute walks per day and hit my step count, or I can go on one 30-minute walk and hit it. You know, It's totally up to you. Um, and it's proven as a good way to track as a, as a measurable thing, like we were talking about earlier, to avoid metabolic adaptation and actually see progress. Mm. Um, so that's always my first go-to, especially if, if your goal is maintaining muscle, but you want to stay lean. Needs the best way because yeah. it's not going to diminish muscle growth. Um, my second way is any type of aerobic conditioning that is non-eccentric based. So basically what this means is anything that's going to allow me to stay in the aerobic zone, so lower intensity, um, think of aerobic as sustainable. So it doesn't mean that you're walking. It, it also doesn't mean necessarily that you're running. You can do either. You can do kettlebell swings. You can do a circuit of barbell movements. You can do a lot of different things in aerobic zone as long as you're monitoring your heart rate and keeping a good pace. So you could do a 30-minute aerobic circuit and you're just making sure to take enough time between exercises to where you're not deliberately going above 70% of your max effort, let's say. So you finish the circuit and you're like, I'm tired, I'm sweaty, but I'm good. You know, rather than anaerobic where you're just going balls to the wall trying to be explosive and powerful. Um, But Staying in that zone, developing the aerobic pace while doing non-eccentric movements, which means most likely you're going to be doing the sled, the rower, the salt bike. The sled and the salt bike are my two favorite for anybody, really. Um, You could throw kettlebell swings in there, but they can get somewhat eccentric. Um, But you're not doing any running. You know, you're not doing anything. uh, You could do a ski erg, too. But essentially what a non-eccentric movement is, is if if you look at a sled, every step you take, you're doing a concentric 
step, right? Because there's load behind you. You put your foot to the ground and you push forward, you drag your foot. Totally. That's any concentric contraction of your muscle. And then you're eccentric, you're lifting your leg off floor. There's no load on it. There's no weight. There's no pressure. There's no tension on the joints, nothing. On the assault bike, same thing. It's a hard push against wind down to the concentric and there's nothing on the eccentric. So all of these movements, they have a powerful concentric, which can help build muscle actually. And it's, that's what's fueling the aerobic uh, work. But you're not doing any eccentric, which means you're getting less muscle damage directly. So you're going to have less soreness. You're getting a lot of blood flow because you create a lot of lactate, which means that you're going to get a good amount of oxygen and blood flow to the muscle, which could build muscle, but it could also help recovery later on. You don't feel like it during the moment because your quads are going to explode when you're dragging a sled or doing the assault uh, bike. I did sled pulls just lightweight consistently for 10 minutes at the end of my workout yesterday, just nonstop. First couple pulls minutes. Or pushes? Uh, I started with pushes halfway. I switched to pulls because okay. my legs were about to fall <laughs> off. First couple minutes, I'm like, all right, I got this. But then the lactate just started filling up. And I was like, dude, I, like my quads are literally going to rip my spandex. Oh. So I was like, all right, let me pull backwards a little bit easier. Um, the thigh's going. Yeah, but essentially, like, I'm fine today. There's no eccentric load on that. It's just concentric contraction. So I'm contracting the muscle sim like continuously for an extended period of time, doing the aerobic conditioning, but I'm not loading the muscle to break it down, causing delayed uh, soreness, delayed onset muscle soreness. And I'm also not uh, putting impact on the joints. So eccentric loading is what causes more joint fatigue and joint inflammation and, and just tension on the joint, like uh, running. So every time you run, you do have a concentric contraction, but every time you land back on the floor, you're also hopping on that ankle, yeah. that knee, that hip. Uh, so one mile is, you know, somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 steps, I think, per leg. So, uh, and that might be butchered, but it's a lot of steps. I think it might actually be 800 steps per leg is a mile, like on average. Um, Travis will pull it up for us. But he, uh, but that is 800. 2,000. 2,000 is a mile, so 1,000 steps yep. per leg. Or 2,000 per leg. 10,000 steps would be five miles. It doesn't say per leg. Okay. So let's say you run five, uh, five miles. It's 10,000 steps. That's 5,000 steps per leg. That is 5,000 hops <laughs> Yeah. on each knee, joint, uh, ankle, hip, everything, right? So it's a lot of impact. So you wonder why people get you know, arthritis and achy joints when they run a lot. I mean, that's why. So if we can do cardio that avoids that eccentric impact to the joint, you're going to be way better off. You're going to still get all the same aerobic benefits. I even did this. I was training a, a, somebody who did resistance training but also ran marathons. Um, it's a while back. Her name was Caitlin, and she uh, tore her Achilles. And so when she came back, it was like, how do we get you ready for this marathon that's coming up without crushing your Achilles right away? We did a fuck ton of sled work. Because I was like, all right, we're tracking your heart rate. I'm going to get you in the right zone. You're going to stay consistent because we're still going to develop the same exact energy system. We're just not putting all the impact on your joints. She crushed it. She had her best fucking marathon time Damn. in her whole life. And she's ran many marathons. Um, and it's, I mean, the energy system, it's kind of like the muscles are stupid, you know? Like, am I running on pavement or am I dragging sled? Yeah. I don't fucking know. Yeah. My heart rate's going. My oxygen's going. Like, I know what I have to produce, which is aerobic energy and ATP. You know, I'm going to keep going. So, um, those are usually my go-tos for sure. I think they're, they're the safest. They're the easiest to throw in between strength training sessions. They're, they promote better recovery. They minimize injury and over overuse aches and pains to the joints. It's a win-win all over. Totally. So. Damn, that's cool. I mean, I'm sorry that intrigued me, but they have to do some marathon training, just not sleds and then go run a marathon. Yeah, I well, mean, for her, she she, I mean, she ran a little bit towards the end right before it, but I mean, we, we kind of only had a few months to get her ready again okay. after she was done, like actually fully being like cleared to do anything after Achilles injury. 
Um, but she had ran multiple marathons. So with her, I'm like, okay, I'm not worried about the, skin, the okay. skill of running okay. anymore. You know, okay. you got it. Yeah. If you were like, hey, dude, I want to run a marathon, I'd be like, okay, we got to run you, a little bit. Yeah, you got to, yeah, you have to have a good gait. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't hang. Your hips will be killing you halfway through. So we got to learn how to run better, which I'm not a running coach. But, you know, if I wanted to swim, I wouldn't just develop my aerobic system. This was a different scenario. Yeah. But the, those are good examples of what you'll be doing too with just the knee stuff. It's yeah. like, it's aerobic training that's going to be really good for what we're after, but it's also way less impact on the joints. Yeah. It's perfect. Same reason why, like today, I got my, my conditioning days. I'm going to do the same thing. It's like, I'm literally just going to rotate through. Probably sled, assault bike, rower, and then probably carries. Dope. But same thing. Yeah. You know. Dope. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. We got Joanna Hernandez. Said, this is a business question. She said, what, what's some advice you can give for someone building their online nutrition business while not making a stable income at another job? How do you motivate yourself to do the work? Man, uh, you motivate yourself by the awareness of the low income, unstable job. Yeah. I mean, realistic, you know what I mean? Like, I think that um, it, it ultimately comes back to that. Like, you have to, we talked about this in a podcast. I don't know if it airs before or after this, but like, it's the whole pain versus pleasure thing. You know what I mean? Like, the pleasure of where you want to be has to outweigh the pain of where you're at right now, right? Or I should say, the pleasure of where you want to be has to weigh out, outweigh the pain of what it takes to get there and has to outweigh the pleasure of where you're at right now. Because there's pleasures inside of that low-income job that you're talking about, the one that you you want to get out of and do your online coaching thing instead of. Um, there is pleasure in that, and the pleasure in that is, is the comfort zone. Yeah. Right? It's the security of knowing, well, I got this locked down. I don't really have to take any risks. It's not the most amazing thing. Maybe I don't love it. Maybe it's it's you know boring, but... I got, I can do it, you know? So I think ultimately you have to, you have to have that, that you have to visualize that, what that pleasure looks like, what will it be like if you get there? And then it's, I mean, it's creating your own future. You know, you, you really have to like visualize yourself in the future and what you want to do and why you want to do it. And that has to outweigh what you're doing right now and the comfort of what you're doing right now. Um, I mean, shit, dude, I would, I would ask you cause you were in that position. I mean, it mm -hmm. wasn't a low income job by any means, but it was something that you decided that you didn't want to do. And there had to be some kind of motivator to be able to do something different. Yeah. That was a big risk. Yeah. That's the answer. I mean, there was something that I had an opportunity in front of my, in front of me that I liked better that I wanted and, but I had to chase it. Yep. You know, like there was, I mean, sometimes you got to create that opportunity. Yep. Sometimes like you just got to say, all right, I'm not happy with this. Let's go find something else and figure out what it takes to get it and work step by step, whether that's formal education, whether that's experience, whether it's working for free, whether it's yeah. doing your own studying, whatever it may be in that industry that you're wanting to get into. It's finding out that, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. I don't know what else like to say, but yeah, figuring out what, if the pain to get to where you want to be is, is worth, worth yeah. doing I think it's 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 hard to say to anybody for sure, but I would I would like also just look at worst case scenarios. It's usually not that bad. Like I remember I remember my dad being like, "Oh what's yeah, you, what's your plan B?" And I'm like, "I don't have one." He's like, "Well, what are you gonna do if this doesn't work?" And I literally he, I always we we joke about it now, um, and I don't know why it's Best Buy. So if anybody works at Best Buy, like there's nothing wrong with that. But I literally was just like, "I'll fucking work at Best Buy." Yeah. And back in the day, I think it was because we used to buy fucking CDs at Best Buy yeah. all the time. So growing up, it was like we had CD collections. Yeah. And I remember my dad taking me 
dad, will you take me to Best Buy? Yeah. Like, I want to get the CD <clears throat> from Lincoln Park or something, Dude, you know? I remember going, this is stupid. I remember going to Best Buy and buying the Lincoln Park uh, Jay-Z collision course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I did with so many. Yeah. That was a sick, like, little thing to yeah. do. But, um, but ultimately, like, I remember just being like, I'll figure it out. Because yeah. worst case scenario, I have enough skills to do something else. Yeah. To get by, you know yeah. what I mean? Worst case, you'll figure something out. So I think looking at any, I think you even did probably this to an extent. You're like, okay, if I, if I leave this to do this and it doesn't work out, I might not be able to go right back to that. Cause they might be like, we're not taking you back on, but the skills I had to do that, I'll fucking find somewhere else that will hire me for the yeah. same reason. You know what I mean? Like, so cover yourself financially to where you can feel a little bit more comfortable taking that leap. And then just, I mean, it's just way out the pros and cons. You know, I think yeah. even for me, it was like, I knew being a trainer, I would be working nights because that's the only way to make money. Everybody else worked day jobs. Like, yeah. I have to train Bill at night. I don't want to miss dinner with my daughter. I remember my dad missing a ton of dinners when I was really little. I didn't want to do that. I was like, that was a huge motivator for me. Once I found out she was pregnant, I was like, fuck this. I got to take action. Yeah. And I did it. So yeah. it's like, sometimes you have to have uh, a little bit of a scare. And, and, and I mean, I, I definitely was scared when I was getting ready to have a kid because I think everybody is. But... I was more afraid of not taking action and then being stuck in the position I was in while having a kid. Cause I was like, fuck in a year from now when she's here and born and, and doing her thing, you know, if I'm still where I'm at right now, I will not be the best version of myself for her. Too you sure. know? So you gotta, you gotta think about the future. You gotta yeah. think about yourself in those scenarios. Um, and usually worst case is not that bad. Cause I was like, you know what? If this shit falls flat on my face, there is at least one gym that will hire me, Yeah, you know? And, and that's not like a cock statement of like, I can get a job anywhere as a trainer, but I was a good trainer. Yeah. So whatever you do right now, you're probably good enough to get a job somewhere else doing it. Hopefully. So it's just like, fuck it. I'll yeah. do the same thing again if I need to. Yeah. But yeah. I had a similar scenario with your Best Buy story. Um, so when I was coming out of high school, during high school, and even my freshman year of college, I went to a junior college, TCC. And I, I was, uh, I would install cor- uh, commercial sprinkler systems in like corporate buildings or warehouses or wherever. Mm-hmm. And so I had that skill and I was like, my dad was put, encouraging me to go to college. He knew I liked um, computers and stuff. He's like, you know, encouraged me to go to college, college. And I hated, I hated school. Absolutely. And so I didn't do well, didn't do well. And then. There came a point when I, I wanted to leave college. My dad's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, dude, I can go be a journeyman in the union and make $100 an hour, dad. Like, but at the end of the day, it's a dead-end job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I no, no offense again, but, you know, that's just – even my journeyman would tell me, like, dude, don't do this. You know, yeah. like, don't do this. You know, blah, blah, blah. But I was just like, at least I knew something I could do. I yeah. wasn't going to go be under the San Francisco Bridge. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's too many, I mean, shit, even fucking minimum wage, at least Washington State is fucking good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, yeah, go anywhere, go yeah. to drive through. It is like, at the end of the day, like, don't, do, don't, and don't let your ego not let you do something. Totally. You know? Like I had shit jobs when I was trying to become a trainer. Same thing. Like I didn't care. Like my friends would pull up to the right aid to be wearing my little fucking tie, which is funny. I went into right aid not that long ago and they don't have to wear ties anymore. Uh-huh. I was like, yo, you don't have to wear a tie. And the guy's like, No. It's like, damn, when I worked that? here not that long ago. It was like this year. No, sure. I'm saying they would say that to you. When are you talking about? Yeah, I was <laughs> like, man, I used to work here, and I'd, I'd wear a button-up and a tie. And he was just like, at Rite Aid? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, bro. Different times. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> they must have cut that out as soon as I left. Uh, but even that, the the community center thing, it was just like, whatever. Whatever yeah. I got to do until 
I'm doing my thing. So ultimately, I think, like, like we said, like the pleasure of where you want to go has to outweigh the pain of what it takes to get there. And the pleasure of where you want to go also has to weigh, outweigh the pleasure of your comfort zone right now. Yeah. So stash a little cash, then fucking just take the leap because worst case scenario, you could do something else. But you will not go all in and create something out of your online coaching business until you put your back against the wall and you have no other choice but to make shit happen. I hope simple. so. Yeah. I mean. You, you have to. Yeah. And if you don't, it's not for you. Yeah. And that's okay. Go be an online coach for somebody else. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Or if you can't even do that, go back to what you were doing. You know what I mean? There's certain people who back against the wall, they won't perform. Yeah. And that's totally normal. Yeah. But if that's you, like I would rather somebody take the leap, realize that ASAP so that they can figure something out to do, so something else to do and stop wondering what if. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day. Totally. And I mean, and another thing too is like, I mean, shit, like all of our coaches are entrepreneurs. They really yeah. are. Like if you think about it, yes, they work for Taylor Coach Method, but the amount of flexibility and freedom as a coach, it's a different thing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not a normal job. So it's like if you're sitting here like constantly contemplating how to do it or what should do it, go intern for somebody that does it already and find out through that. Yeah. Like what, what is that? They'll tell you happening? what it takes. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I've had many of those conversations. Yeah. Well, all those people work for me now and they're happier than ever. And they totally. basically have... 100% flexibility and freedom of their schedule, of their life, of everything. Yeah. You know, they just get to do what they love for a living. And it's like, you can find that, but you have to go seek it out. Totally. All the people on our team sought it out. Like a lot of, some of them did the resume, the, the application, you know what I yeah. mean? Some of the coaches, but a lot of them either just bugged me about it or they did it and then bugged me about it or they were a client and bugged me about it. And it was like, I want people who are hungry to be a part of something way bigger than any one of us. Ditto. And those are the people that came on board, you yeah. know, so... You got to do that. You got to be that it. person. I love it. All right. Next one comes from a question from Anonymous. Uh, it says, how, how do you go about periodizing for someone who has 30, 40, or even 50 pounds to lose? I, I'm a lot more familiar with taking clients through a diet who don't have as much as, much as that to lose. You don't periodize it. Your, your periodization is based on their uh, calendar uh, of events. Mm. And the reason I say that is because if you have 40, 50, 60 pounds to lose, metabolic adaptation is not occurring to a serious amount anytime soon. You have plenty of weight to lose. Your job is to find a way to put them into a deficit and allow them to adhere to it week to week mm. to week, um, month after month. Uh, and your periodization is basically having – a reactive diet break strategy. And what I mean by that is whether you're four weeks in or eight weeks in or 12 weeks in or 20 weeks in, at some point, they're probably going to start to feel a little bit fatigued mentally at the very least, if not energy-wise stuff. You need to know how to read those symptoms and go, you know what, we're going to take a diet break for two weeks. Like we're going to up calories, we're going to spend some time, and we're going to jump back into it. When you jump back into it, you're constantly trying to read into things. Do they feel better? Are they more motivated now? Or do they still are they still dragging ass? They're still dragging ass. Hey, we're going to take a maintenance phase. Totally. And that's where the periodization is more reactive. And you go, okay, we're going to spin around. Because I've had people that have to lose 60 pounds that we go 12 weeks and we need a maintenance phase or diet break because that's just how they respond. And then there's other people that go fucking six months and the act of getting into a deficit creates new healthy habits and a motivation and a different uh, personality almost. They change their lifestyle. Yeah. They don't need to stop anytime soon. If anything, a diet break would slow their motivation down. Keep fucking going. So I don't think you need a crazy periodization strategy for somebody that has that much weight to lose. I think more likely you need a reactive diet break strategy for sure. 
Um, and then outside of that, I think it's it's ultimately just planning also diabetes refeeds around events. So if they're camping, if they have birthdays, if it's if their summer schedule is just nuts, then you could plan on dieting up until summer, taking a month or two off when they have all their travel, and then like just doing maintenance and then jumping back into the diet in fall. You can figure anything out, but it's far less structured when totally. it's that much weight to lose and it's a gym pop person. It's it's much more about um, unless they're like a, a a football player that needs to lose forty pounds, then we we're, we're periodizing, periodizing around in season, off season, post season, preseason, all that. Um, but for gym pop, periodization is diet breaks and intuitive eating and stuff like that that you implement in. Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel like it was somebody that has that much to lose, like, and they're committed. They're just like you said, don't give them diet breaks. They're just on fire. They're on fire. Yeah, they don't need to. And the thing they is, they want to like, lose it. Yeah, you if you have fifty pounds to lose and you go into a deficit. The, the fatigue you would feel from a big calorie deficit will be uh, forgotten because of how good they feel from losing 20 pounds halfway through. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, when you lose 20 pounds, you feel fucking amazing. Yeah. You have more energy. Let's you're lighter on your feet. 10. You're sleeping better because sleep apnea starts to fade away even if you don't have a ton of sleep issues. But everything just improves. You know what I mean? Like, sex is better. Food is <laughs> better. Like, everything is better. Yeah. And so they're like, diet break? What? Yeah. No, like we're going, you know, yeah. they don't feel that diet fatigue. When you got 10 pounds to lose, yeah, you feel that fucking diet fatigue. Yeah. You don't have much to lose. So um, it's it's all reactive. And yeah. I think being a good coach is is monitoring, monitoring. And, 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 and tracking symptoms and biofeedback and then knowing when to pull the trigger on those reactive things. Totally. So, All right, cool. We got one more here from Anonymous. It says, are there specific approaches you take when working with a higher level CrossFit athlete? higher level CrossFit athlete. Do you tend to do few refeeds per week or high, higher volume days or just same macros each day? So number one, there's really no sense in taking refeeds unless you're dieting. If you're a high level CrossFit athlete, you should not be dieting. You shouldn't be in a deficit. So very rarely am I going to be taking diet breaks or refeeds with people who are CrossFit athletes, unless it's off season and they really need to drop some weight to improve their gymnastics or something like that. So I literally just had a conversation with somebody about this. And, uh, with that, um, with a client of mine and with that, it's usually like a five pound difference at most. So Mm -hmm. it's never like I need to drop 20 pounds to compete better. It's like, I need to drop like three pounds. I think it'll help me with my, my muscle ups a little bit. Okay, cool. Like we're not going to go crazy with deficit. Like, you know what I mean? It's not going to be insane. So, um, I, I typically am not using refeeds now. If somebody, and this is why I wouldn't even call it a refeed. There's been times where it's like, okay, you're competing this weekend. We are going to add calories because um, I'm adding some extra intra carbs because you have multiple events throughout the day. Um, I want you to get a burger tonight because you just need to fucking calorie up at the end of this because you got to wake up and do it again. Yeah, you're you're adding calories, but we're not like I, I'm not doing things from a, a, a refeed structured perspective of like, okay, today I want you to hit 400 grams carbs. It's like, here's your meals. These are the meals that we want to have because I want to have a certain amount of carbs in between events. I want a certain amount of carbs during events. I want you to have a, a big-ass meal at the end of the event, which is going to be something like a burger or whatever just to get calories in. So less structure around that. Um, typically throughout the throughout the the weeks and the training, it is going to be a steady uh, intake, so it's not going to be – calorie cycling or anything like that. Um, but it is going to be ranges and usually CrossFit athletes are intuitive enough. Like if you're a high level athlete, you're intuitive enough for, to know how to work this. But instead of me saying, Hey, you're going to eat 400 grams carbs these days, 450 grams carbs these days, we can't be a hundred percent accurate with exactly how many, many calories they're burning per day because the nature of CrossFit is it's, it's a constant variation. So uh, the amount of 
of caloric expenditure on one day versus the next is going to be totally different. And the amount of recovery demands on one day to the next is going to be different as well uh, because there's, there's constant variability. So knowing that, I might say we're eating 400 to 500 grams carbs or, or 450 to 500 grams carbs. And because of that, um, we're going to make sure that we're having at some point a range where they understand days where I'm burning more, I'm going to just eat a little bit more. I'm just going to fuel a little bit more, right? Days where I don't need to fuel as much, I'm not going to eat as much. And so you have this range of protein, fats, and carbs where you can be more intuitive and you can base it off how hungry you are, how much recovery you are. If you smashed yesterday and you wake up the next day and you're super hungry, you feel pretty sore, and you don't have as much pep in your step, we can do something like, hey, I want you to add a half a cup of oats. Yeah. Like it stays within your carb range, but it's going to give you more fuel. You're a little under-recovered because you crushed it yesterday and you're feeling the effects today, but we still got to train today. So we're just bumping things up. So I like having ranges. I like it being set throughout the week um, because I think at the end of the day, it's 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 very rare that you're going to burn the same amount of calories every single day, and that's and that's just how it is. Totally. You know? um, so how I approach nutrition for CrossFit athletes is, is just that it's steady throughout the week. There's no cycling, no refeeds because they're not dieting, they're performing. And so I want high intakes every single day. It's going to be a high protein, high carb, moderate fat intake. Um, and it's, it's likely going to have more ranges so that we can undulate it and intuitively go up and down as needed, depending on the type of workouts they're doing. And on competitive weekends or tournaments, we're not doing any type of refeed. We're just adding calories in certain areas throughout the day to, support more recovery to continue the competition throughout. Um, and, and I can't believe I waited to the end of this podcast to do this, but uh, if we're talking about recovery, got to talk about Legion. Yeah. You know, the sponsor of the Q&As, as always, is Legion Supplements. It is the best supplement on the market. It's the most science-backed supplements on the market, and it has the best advisory board. A lot of times, supplement companies actually don't even have advisory boards, so that should tell you a little something. Um, I kind of look at it like we have a chief science officer. For sure. Not that many coaching companies have a chief science officer backing everything they do, which is fucking amazing um but legion is the sponsor of this podcast and there's a reason they are it's because they are the best and if you're trying to optimize recovery if you're trying to optimize fat loss if you're trying to optimize health longevity your training there's just too much in a good stack if you go to buylegion.com slash boom boom you can see what i often take i i literally take every single day i take their creatine post-workout i take their uh whey and their casein so i i have whey shake uh, before my workout with one of my meals, I have uh, their casein at night before bed. So I'm taking their protein every single day. I have their pre-workout, pre-workout every day. I have their multivitamin every single day. And I take their gut formula and their uh, fish oil and their joint. Damn, I take a lot of shit. So uh, it's a good stack, though, to keep my joints healthy, my body healthy, my hormones healthy, um, my metabolism healthy, my muscles recovering. I mean, my energy in the gym is through the roof, and it's stim-free, so I don't get too jacked up on caffeine, um, which I really, really highly recommend. It's it's a good way to trick yourself into energy because it gives you all the good things for a good training session without you feeling jittery. And you kind of feel that way anyway because it's placebo. Like, you, you forget there's no caffeine in there, and you get pretty jacked up. But uh, but go check out buylegion.com slash boom boom. There is a very, very good reason why the top coaches in our industry all support this company, and it's because they are the best. Um, so guys, that's all we got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this Q and a, I hope you took a lot of notes. I hope you took something away. Remember that there is a question box in the link, uh, in the description of this podcast. So you can click that link. You can head over there. You can leave us a question and we will answer it on the show. Check out the link to join the Facebook group. Cause we want to make sure that you get in there. Cause it's an even better opportunity to ask me questions, get more insights and get your questions featured on the podcast. And last but not least, share this podcast with a friend. It is free. And that is the best way for us to grow. this industry.